There, Reverend Dennis Hesselbarth. There's 11 letters in that last name, and I always used to tell my mom that all my emotional problems started in kindergarten when I had to learn to write my name, you know. <laughs> um, my great-grandparents um, homesteaded uh, east of Abilene in 1870, and um, they had a farm that now is back to pasture. It looked a lot more like the Flint Hills, a whole bunch of rocks. We went there to visit it. But um, by the time I came along, I was pretty much a town kid, the city kid. And um, so, uh, but maybe there's something genetically, but when I get around out of, out of the city and I come to a place like this, I'm just like, oh, this is such a nice place, right? So it's really fun for me to be here. Gospel love in an angry world. In the early 80s, my wife and I um, were asked to join uh, a tra missionary training center that trained missionaries, and we were going to be ministry trainers. As with, with, now it's called Crew, it was Campus Crusade. The catch was is that they, the center was in South Central Los Angeles, which is the black inner city, you know, Watts and all that kind of stuff. So we moved there, never been anywhere near like that. You know, I'm a kind of a town kid. And um, we joined a black church. And our church went soul winning every week. We'd go door to door and knock on doors and talk about people, to people about Jesus. And we kind of adopted at one point, the church kind of adopted a housing project in L.A. called the Pueblo del Rio Housing Project. And um, it was ruled by one of the Bloods gangs and... Man, I mean, for this kid, I'd never been running like that, that kind of violence and stuff. I didn't know what to do. The only violence I think I remember growing up was when we were, you know, at the county fair, the rodeo, you know, there'd be a really mean, nasty bull, you know, they'd be going after the, the clown, you know, like he'd be jumping in a barrel, and that was, I'd, but so being around this gang stuff was like, whew. So one day, we were going door to door, knocking on doors, um, inviting little kids to a Bible club we were going to have that, that Saturday. And I took one row of apartments, and then my partner was kind of like across the courtyard going down the door to door. And so I knocked on this door, and what had opened, there was this big, mean, nasty-looking gang member with tats, you know, and the colors, and I'm like... Uh, I kind of sp sp sputtered out, you know, <laughs> what I was doing. You know, we were inviting kids. And then what happened next, it really shocked me. So, what do you think happened next? He invited me in. I got it, you're right. <laughs> this is what this dude said. He said, man... He said, that's cool. I wish you guys would have been around here when I was a little kid. Maybe I'd not be all so messed up in a gang now. And I'm like, it's not what I was expecting. And we ended up, I ended up talking to this guy, just basically listening to him for like 15 or 20 minutes. And he just told me about how tough it was and how if you didn't get in the gang, you know, that you were, people were attacking you and, you know, and, he was just feeling trapped, and I was like, man, alive. And uh, 
I learned something that day. What I learned was not to judge somebody by their looks or their situation, and that if I could stop and ask people about themselves and learn about them and just listen, that'd be a pretty good idea. And even as I think about that guy today, I, I pray for him. I have no idea what happened to him, but I just said, Lord, just protect this guy. He doesn't want to be in this mess. So that experience points to something in the book of James that is described as a powerful tool to overcome division and anger. It's no surprise though, you and I, that we live in a world with a lot of division and anger and mistrust. And um, there's uh, all kinds of fear and, you know, there's the red and the blue and the black and the white and the woke and the pro-life and the pro-choice. And, you know, you just go on and on and on, right? Um, I bet even here in Chase County, far from a lot of that stuff, there's still some divisions and hurts and stuff. I'm guessing. Am I right? Yeah. I don't know what they are. You could probably tell me if we had more time. I'd love to hear. And our media is really good at pointing out how bad the other side is, right? And pretty good at fueling us our disgust and our fear and our anger. And, you know, it's pretty easy to feel kind of self-righteous, right? You know, and those other people who are all messed up. That's what our society does. And then, doggone it. We read the Bible. We open up the Bible, and it starts saying stuff that doesn't fit. First Peter 2. Live as free people, Peter said, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Uh, LBGT people? Um, those people? Respect to everyone. Love the family believers, fear God, honor the emperor. The president, honor the president, right? Like, oof, okay. Finally, in chapter 3, 1 Peter, all of you, here's what we're supposed to be like in the middle of this world. Like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, don't repay evil with evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Lord, I'm supposed to go around blessing people who are doing wrong? <laughs> Therefore, Colossians 3, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with self-righteousness and indignation at all this junk, right? <laughs> no compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Oh boy. How in the world can we live in that kind of a gentle, kind and compassionate way when there's so much messed up, right? And there's stuff that's really wrong and it is wrong. How do we do that? So I'm going to answer that in two... No, I'm not. <laughs> We're going to look at one thing. James, the letter to James and the James to First Peter are two letters that are written to people who are in a really messed up situation. There's persecution. 
The government around them is crazy. There's all kinds of junk. There's all kinds of immorality. They are suffering. There's a lot. Both of these books talk a lot about trials and suffering. So here's followers of Jesus who are in a really hard situation, and it's a mess. And these two books are really earthy, down-to-earth books. And they give a lot of guidance about how to deal with the sin that we have, to deal with division, to deal with how we tend to blame other people and excuse ourselves about the anger that we feel. And there's themes in those books about endurance, about having faith, godliness, about love, gentleness, respect, returning good for evil. If you want to be challenged and kind of say, okay, God, how do I live in the middle of this situation? Go through these two books, get a pad of paper or whatever, go out and, and just read and write down, here's what it says you're spo- we're supposed to be like. And if you're not feeling about this tall when you get done, because it's like, whoa, this is different than what you know, everyone says. If you ask, says, well, if you're a godly person who's concerned about righteousness, how are you supposed to act? It's probably not the way this book, these books, these letters tell us. So it's, it's challenging stuff, okay? <clears throat> so I'm going to zero in on James chapter 1 and look a little bit, and we're going to camp on two verses, and then we're going to practice some stuff. I'm going to have you get up in pairs of two and do a little bit of practicing. We're going to talk about some stuff. Okay, so you figured out, if you remember last time, I don't, I don't like just talking. I, I want us all to work together. So the first thing the book of James talks about is perseverance. In James 1, 2, through 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You you, you tend to want to throw away our faith. You just hang in there. You persevere in your faith. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Lot lacking, lot, not lacking anything. And then verse, jump down to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When things are hard, when things are upsetting and everything like that, it's pretty hard to not get off track. And James is saying the first thing is Hang on to your faith. Keep trusting in God. Keep believing that God's there and that he's going to take care of things and keep centered on Jesus, right? Okay. Then he goes on and he talks about some specific things that are pretty typical, particularly when things are hard. First, he talks about in verses 9 through 11 about keeping everyone equal. You know, because there's a lot in the book of James about the poor and the rich and, you know, like the, the, the rich sit up here and the poor sit down there. You remember those passages? He says, Work and making sure that everyone feels apart. There's an equality. And then, when you're under pressure, the tendency is to fall into temptation, isn't there? So he says, when that happens, you're going to f- be tempted. When you do, take, take responsibility. Don't blame God. Say, God, if you hadn't put me in this situation, if you'd removed this pressure, I would have done better. No. He says, don't. Blame God for not removing the pressure. And remember, verses 16 to 18, that God is always only good. That's, God never brings anything bad. So it's like, 
It's that tendency we have to blame others. If only life was different, if only I had this, if only. He says, no, 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 no. Hang in there. Know that God's working. It's good. So you can kind of see he's stealing us to hang in there. Then <clears throat> he zeroes in on anger. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but you all would. How many of you have been angry about some stuff that's going on? Any of you? Yeah. Here's what he says. Boy, talk about nail us to the... says, James 1, 19 through 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent around us and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. These days, we applaud people who get angry and push back. Think about it. James is saying here, ah, no, you can't live there because anger will not bring about righteousness. Despite what our politicians and the talk show people, anger is not going to bring God's righteousness. We will not bring our country to righteousness back to God by being angry. That's what it says, isn't it? It's not how God's going to do it. So, what's the antidote to anger? We all tend to get angry. What's the antidote? This is pretty interesting. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to... Oh, it got moved over. I'm supposed to circle the word listen. Instead of speaking and getting angry, be quick to listen. Now, what does that have to do with anger, right? What does that have to do with anger? Um, well, what does he mean by listen? Okay. Because that's an important thing. What, listen to what? Well, in the context, first of all, it, in, in verse 21, it talks about accepting the word planted in you. So I, there's no doubt that he's talking about listening to the scriptures and listening to what it's saying and going, ooh, like we read some scriptures about being gentle and stuff. Like, Listen to that, he says. But in this context, he's talking about, the, uh, about speaking and becoming angry. And it's very clearly talking about being in relationships and talking together. And the tendency is, is to, you're upset, you know, you raise your voice, you talk, you know, you, and you get angry. And he says, nope, there's a better way. Shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. Um, why is that an anecdote, an antidote or whatever, to anger. Well, I want to do an experiment. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find another person, and I'm going to have you pair up and practice listening to each other, okay? So you have to find somebody else, and it would be cool if you found somebody that's different than you, like older or younger or whatever. And I've got some questions, and you, I, I'm going to give you each of you 
one of you take three minutes and you can say whatever you want about, you can pick one of these questions to answer and you just have three minutes to talk. And the other person is not allowed to speak. All you can do is just listen and your goal is to try to just understand them, okay? Just understand them. And you can use nonverbals and, you know, and, but you know, you may want to comfort them or you want to challenge them. Or you, but, mm, all you want to do is just listen, let them talk, and just kind of understand where they're coming from, what's going on. Okay? So divide up. Find a person. And um, we can't go on until you do this, so you might as well get with it. And uh, then I'm going to put up here three questions that you can pick from to answer. Yeah, you don't want to do it with your spouse, by the way. You can do it with one of your kids. But, uh, yeah. As long as I get to listen and you talk. You both have to talk. You both have to listen, right? So. Okay, here's, here are three questions that I've just picked up. And you can, you can choose, those of you that are talking, you can choose which one of these ones you want to answer, Okay. The first one is, what has stuck out to you this morning, you know, and why? Like, you know, like, man, that's a handsome-looking dude up there. No, no. <laughs> what stuck out to you this morning? You could answer that, and why? What's something that's been encouraging to you lately? You could talk about that. Or, what's something about yourself you'd like me to know? Something that you'd like me to know about you. Okay? So... One of you go first. You've got three minutes to answer one of those questions. And the other person just want you to listen as best you can and just try to understand what, what you can about them. Be paying attention to their emotions, too, not what they might be feeling, not just what they're saying. Okay? On your marks, get set, go. <laughs> Remember, if you're a listener, you can't say anything.
And if you run out of something to say, keep talking. <laughs> Explain more. Okay, it's been three minutes. Now it's time to trade, okay? So the other person now gets to talk for three minutes, answer any of those questions or all of them, whatever. And the other person just listen, be attentive, try to understand them as best as you can. All right, on your marks, get set, go.
Okay, now I'm going to rudely interrupt you. And I have a couple questions. And this is, a, I'm going to ask the questions and then listen as you guys answer. Um, let's first think about when you were being listened to, okay? What, did it, what was it like when you were being listened to? How did you feel? What, what was it like for you to be listened to? Yeah, it's hard not to have a response. Okay, yeah, it was hard. You you were expecting people to comment, okay. Okay, good. What else? What was it like for you? Did you hate it? Did you love it? Did what? Three minutes is a long time. You felt important. Hmm. Did anybody else feel that way? Some nodding some heads. It's just wonderful to have uninterrupted time to go, right? <laughs> yeah. So when, anyway, we'll talk about that when you're the one doing the listening. So it was hard to not ask and talk, okay? But let's talk a little bit more about how did you feel, what was it like to be listened to intensely? We talked about you felt important, you just felt like this freedom to be able to just talk. What else did you feel? Yeah, <laughs> three minutes wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, he said when, when he was doing the listening, he wanted to talk and to agree and give his opinion and insights. Okay, well let's, now let's talk about the other side. When you were the listener, okay, and you weren't supposed to talk, you're just supposed to listen, what was it like for you? Yeah, it's hard to not express empathy or want to dig in deeper, okay? So you felt constrained? What? It's kind of humbling. What do you mean by that? Yeah, okay. She said that it's kind of humbling because oftentimes we think to ourselves, we have good ideas and stuff, but to have to not be able to share those and just humble ourselves and just let them say whatever they want to say. Okay? I wanted to know more, so I wanted to ask questions. Yeah, I want to know more. Yeah, more, more. By the way, I'll just say this, that one of the questions that normally you, you can do, and it's a good thing to do, is that you can say, tell me more. That would be probably legitimate, but in this three-minute exercise, no. What else? How did it feel to be the one listening? So you're listening. 
So ju you're just listening to him talk, and, and you felt encouraged as you heard about kind of where he went. Okay, that's cool. What else did you feel? Yes. So by not thinking about what, how you're going to respond, but just trying to focus on them, you felt like you were getting to know them in a deeper way. Okay. Did some of the rest of you experience that too? Okay. Yeah, it helps you feel sympathy for something you didn't really know. Yeah, they've revealed some things that you didn't know, and it's like, like how I felt about that gang kid, you know, it's like, my heart went out to this guy, you know. All my fear went away, and I just, it was hard to hear him not want to be in that painful place. If you and I sit down with someone and simply listen to them, what happens? What happens to them and to us? And one of the things that we heard about is that, that when someone's being listened to, it's like, it's like they feel better about themselves. They, it's like, it's really encouraging, sort of. Um, how many of you would say that because of this listening, that you feel closer to the person you listen to? Raise your hand if you felt like, look at the hands. Do you see that? What is it about just listening that makes, draws us closer to one another? It doesn't always but mainly it does. Here's some quotes. The greatest compliment that was ever paid me was when one asked me what I thought and attended to my answer. What a compliment that someone really just wants to know what you think. David Augsburger, if you know who he is, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Dan DeVos, President and CEO of E.P. Fox and Chairman of the Orlando Magic. When you say, tell me about you, you invite people to talk about whatever is most important to them, what they care about, what they dream about, hope for, what they fear. It's a brilliant question. It's the key that unlocks another's soul. Andrew Sobel. Telling creates resistance. Advice giving. Asking creates relationships. I'm going to tell you about Chris. Um, for six years, um, from 2013 to 19, my wife and I moved back up to the, to the North Pacific Northwest, where she's from, and we lived in a seniors' mobile home park. And next door to us, this guy moved in named Chris. And Chris was a retired Navy sailor, 
And he kind of fit the stereotype really well. Crusty old soul. Sharp tongue, opinionated. Um, and my wife, like, I'm not going anywhere near this dude, right? Um, and Chris is really crippled up. He started his career on shore in Vietnam and was exposed to Agent Orange. He's got all these health problems. He can't hardly grip anything with his hand. But his sauciness, his, his readiness to tell you what he thinks, whether you, if he thinks you're wrong, he's going to tell you, right? That kind of guy. Pushes people away. So Chris is pretty lonely. His wife died of cancer a few years back. One of his superior officers disliked his bluntness so much that he blackballed him, blocking him promotion from first class petty officer to chief petty officer. Um, so his manner didn't help him. One of his officers tried to cram Jesus down his throat and pressured him to repent. So he told me, as soon as he found out that I was religious, that he has nothing to do with those Bible thumpers. He didn't know that I was one of them, but anyway, so that's Chris. Well, I chose to go and visit with him anyway. And what I did was just ask him questions. I asked him what it was like being in the Navy. You know, my son-in-law is in the Navy, so I asked him questions. He loved the Navy. He, he didn't want to quit. And, he, and so he had just story after story after story about his Navy career. And it turns out, as I listened, that he was a top-notch storekeeper. Now they call him logistics specialist supply. He won many awards, including the Navy Achievement Medal, which if you know anything about that, it's that's a big shot. This guy was super competent. And then underneath his crustiness, I began to realize he was actually a pretty caring and tender-hearted person because he started telling stories about young sailors that were struggling and were messing up and people were mad at him. And he would kind of take them under their, his wing and work with them and help them to become successful. One of the stories that really sticks out to me is on one ship there were three black sailors that ran the laundry, and, um, and they were like Black Panther types, super hostile. They were really angry and like everyone was scared. So he just went down there and he wanted to use the pressing machine to press his dress whites. And they said, well, you're not supposed to do that because you're a first class. And I, I know how to do that. I was used to be on a sub, you know. And so he would do it. And then supplies would come in and he'd say, okay, guys, Let's he'd take off his shirt and get his shirt. So let's go load up these, get these supplies and get them put away. And, and they said, like, wait a minute, man, you're, you're, a, you know, you're a first class. You're not supposed to do that. He says, hey, man, on a sub, we all did it together. And so he did that kind of stuff. And um, they began to really like him. And they became, he became friends with these three dudes. And... Um, and they began to kind of fit in and relax and not be so defensive. And um, at one point, his CO, commanding officer, who had been ready to kick these three guys out, came to Chris and said, what did you do to them? And Chris said, I just treated them with respect. That's what Chris was like inside. He's just an amazing guy. He just had to get past that crusty, outspoken stuff. And as our relationship went on, by asking questions gently, I found out that, in fact, he had indeed trusted Christ. He didn't know all the right words and stuff like that, but he had turned his life over to Christ and was sure, because of Christ's death for him, that he was going to go to heaven. It's like, oh, 
Christ, Lord. Even though to this day he still won't darken the door of a church and he doesn't trust those church people, right? So that's Chris. Farhud. Oops, it went too far. Our church was building an addition and we hired this company and the project manager was a guy named Farhud and he spoke with an accent so I was pretty sure he was an immigrant so I asked him. He was from Syria. He was highly educated. They'd moved to the United States and he was now the project manager. So I asked him like, what's it like to come to the United States and all this and he and his wife were kind of struggling with what to do with their children in schooling because they were pretty uncomfortable that the public school their kids were in was, they just didn't have really good values. And well, we were raising our two daughters in the inner city and it wasn't a very nice place. There was a lot of junk and we were concerned about that too. And so we had these long conversations, Farhud and I, about, um, you know, about our families and raising kids and that stuff. And Farhud introduced me to Nabil. And Nabil was the head of the Wichita Muslim Society. He's an aeronautical engineer. And I have an engineering degree, which I never used. And so I was interested in what's it like. And so I asked him about engineering and all that kind of stuff, what it was like to be a Muslim in Wichita. And he asked me about being a pastor. And we just began to develop this really deep relationship. And uh, we had this understanding. Because I'd say, Nabil, you know that Jesus says he's the only way. And, you know, what you really need to do is you need to turn your life over to Jesus. And he would say, Dennis, you know that Muhammad is Allah's prophet, and, you know, and he's the prophet, and you need to say the, I can't remember what the word is, I've got it written down here, the shah, shahada, which is the confession, you know, of faith in Allah. You know, and so we would talk to each other about our faith. And it was pretty tragic because at one point, um, Nabil died in an automobile accident. But because of that, I have an open door to the mosque in, in Wichita. And I know personally the current imam, Ahmad Abdi Sheikh, who's from Kenya. Now, I know nothing about this. I mean, what in the world, you know? I'm, I'm this kid that came up and I grew up in Durango, Colorado, back when it was kind of like a ranching, farming town. And I, like, how is it that I no Muslims by name, right? Well, one more story. That's prison. I recently became a chaplain for a Christian company that has two manufacturing plants inside the Hutch prison. Now, what do I know about prisons? Nothing, right? What do I do? I just go and I ask questions and I listen and I care and I'm just wandering the factory for listening to murderers and child molesters and gang members and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's unbelievable to me how open they are to me, this old white guy, right? You know, who has no idea what their life is like. Um, how hungry they are for love. And I've been astonished at how many of them are seeking Jesus, reading the Bible. Now, wh why am I telling you those three stories? Because I'm the most unlikely person to know a crusty old sailor, to know Muslims, to know, you know, to know convicts. <laughs> you know, I'm this guy, the clueless guy. What's the common theme in all of those? Listening. I just learned, I started learning it from that guy in, in Pueblo del Rio. 
to just ask questions and not to assume anything. And, you know, what I began to realize is that the, the Bible says that the Spirit of God is at work trying to draw every person to himself. Every person I meet, I realize they're somewhere. The Spirit of God is tugging on them, right? They may be resisting it or anything, but... And so I've kind of realized, you know, if I just ask questions, get to know them, I, I'm kind of trying to discover what's God doing in their life. And what I've learned is, is that I can talk to anybody, you know? It doesn't matter. I can talk to a mega person, or I could talk to a progressive person, or I could talk to a black person, or I could talk to a whatever person. I could even talk to a rancher from Chase County. I know that's stretching it, right? <laughs> um, have you noticed how often Jesus asks questions instead of telling? You notice that? wonder why. Have you noticed how people who were shunned, you know, the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all that, that they'd love to be around Jesus? I wonder why. Well, my theory is it's because he listened to them. He was interested in them. He wanted to know about them. And what he found and what I found is, is that People are just regular people. They, they, they w I've rarely met a person that didn't want to do right. Now, they also are doing a lot of wrong, just like you and I. But deep down inside, and I think it's Romans 1 talks, Romans 2 talks about how the, the law is written in our hearts that we want intrinsically. That's really true. It's like everyone I meet, if I listen along, there's a yearning for God. There's a yearning for that's right. It's amazing. And as I listen, they feel affirmed. They feel loved. They feel valued. Jesus knew what he was talking about, taking the initiative, or James knew what he was talking about, taking the initiative to listen to others. It's a powerful way to move past our anger at those people and begin to build a relationship with those people and find out that they're just regular people. I, mean, I may not agree at all with how, what they think is the right way to do things, but there's this inside thing with them. So, Jesus, so guess what? Can you guess what I'd like you to do? Begin to seek out people and ask them about their lives. And then just listen. Think you can do that? I'll tell you one more story. I was part of a task force. We were dealing with racism stuff in Wichita, and I was with Nabil and stuff, and there was a guy there who was the most crazy, way-out liberal guy I've ever met. I mean, he was the pastor of United Methodist Church, and he was so liberal that they couldn't stand him, right? You know, I mean, it's like, he's way out there. So I'm on this task force with this guy, and it amazed me He's one of the most caring, compassionate, concerned people I've ever met. Now, I didn't know Jesus, I don't think, but it just amazed me. So begin to seek out people 
and ask them about their lives. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple, just some thoughts about listening really quick. There, I've done some more training that's more extensive, but we can't do that this morning. When you listen, your goal is simply to learn about the other person. That's what you're there for. You don't need to respond in the sense of explaining your position or what you think about them. You're there just to understand them. Not to give advice. It doesn't mean you agree. Just listening doesn't suggest at all that you agree. You're just seeking to understand them. And a key attitude is curiosity. What can I learn about this person? And in my mind, I'm also like, I wonder what God is doing in their heart. You know, I'm curious. Ask people about themselves, you know. Everyone likes to talk about themselves. What was growing up like? Good, bad, and ugly. What's going on these days? What things are good stuff that's going on? What's challenging stuff? When I was driving up here, I was thinking about, you know, we've, my garden last year was horrible because it was so stinking hot, you know, and even watering it. And I thought, man, I wonder what it was like here in the Flint Hills. I mean, it was super hot. Did the, was there no grass? Did the cattle have nothing to eat? You know, I mean, I've, I wonder about that stuff. What was it like for you guys? Um, you just ask questions about um, people and find out stuff. Listening tips. Ask and be quiet. Don't say a thing. And when there's silence, just stay quiet. We Americans don't like quiet. So if I'm just listening, the other person has kind of stopped talking. If I just stay quiet, guess what? They'll start talking again, right? <laughs> and then you, they go deeper. Um, it is, if it's helpful, to say, well, tell me more if you want to know more. Tell me more. Tell me more. That's, that's a fair thing to ask. Don't give advice. Correct. Give opinion. Just learn about them. There will come a time in a relationship where it's appropriate to give advice. But what happens is, is when they say, well, what do you think? They've just told you. They're now giving you permission to give your perspective. But if you just wait until they do that, you're no longer pushing it on them. Remember that one slide that said, telling creates, creates resistance, but asking creates relationship. If there's a relationship going and they know you really are concerned about them, and then and they want to know and they ask you, Go for it, right? You know, but wait. Just listen until you're invited. Um, and here's a biggie. In fact, I should have said this at the beginning. Keep confidences. This morning, you may have heard some things that are pretty confidential. Do not share those with anyone, even your spouse, okay? You have to have trust. Then a person needs to know that you're not going to be blabbing around their stuff, right? So um, I hear stuff, oh my gosh, stuff that I hear in the prison. And I, there's, there's one guy that I talk to. His, I mean, it's, his marriage has fallen apart, and he's really hurting. And he's not in the prison. He's in another part of the company. And I'm really hurting for the guy. I want to tell everybody I'm not. I won't, you know, unless he gives me permission. The only exception would that be is if a person says, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, that's a little different. You know what I mean? That's, then you want to get them help. Um, and then thank them for sharing with you. It is such a cool thing to say, thank you for telling me those things. I appreciate that. It's just such a simple thing to do.
Okay. So, are you ready? Whom could you listen to in your world? Is somebody popping your mind? Is the Holy Spirit bringing someone to mind? Don't forget that. Write it down, right? My encouragement is to listen to those you normally might not associate with. And this doesn't have to be political or anything like that. There's something so beautiful about a child talking to an older, you know, like a little girl talking to a grandma, you know, that's not, man, there's, so who is it that you normally wouldn't be talking to, listening to? Think about connecting with them. Now, this is particularly true in evangelistic, and if you think about evangelism, there's people in this community that you probably say, they're a long ways away from the Lord, they're pretty hostile or whatever, you would never think about talking with them. What if you just went and said, hey, tell me about, you know, where did you grow up? And, uh, you know, how did you end up living here? Or, you know, or you start with some kind of surface stuff, you know. Just listen to them. And you may, you may be shocked at what's going on inside their lives and the opportunities that will open up for you to minister to them. Pray for gentleness compassion, and love. The way people come to Christ is through mercy and grace and forgiveness. When we are those kinds of people, it flings the door wide open because they are experiencing through us the grace of God. And so we don't have to fix things. We don't have to force things. We can be like like those passages I read, compassionate and kind and gentle and sympathetic. Um, And the Spirit of God will do the work of drawing people to himself. Okay, that's how I say it. So I want to just stop and say, comments, questions? Your assignment is to go listen, right? But any questions or comments you want to make before we wrap up? So all makes perfect sense. I'm just an incredible communicator, right? You've all got it all figured out, right? No. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I've had to learn what good questions are. Like, there's, again, the, I, I guess I'll invite myself, if it would be helpful to you guys, I could come back and we could do like a Sunday school thing or something and work, talk more about listening. But like one of the most important things is you ask what's called open-ended questions. If you ask a question, it'll be answered in yes or no. So are you happy today? Yes. No. What did that tell you? Nothing, right? But if you ask, so how are you feeling today? See, it's open. You, you know, they can answer. So there's a bunch of those kinds of things. You're right. We can practice. What else? Questions, comments? So am I shocking you? Or are you like freaked out? Like, oh my gosh, who is this wacko, right? Or do you kind of go on, okay, I kind of get this. Nodding heads, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Listening has taken me places and built me relationships with people that I, I couldn't imagine, you know. And it can for you too. And the cool thing is, is you don't have to be glib of tongue. You can be kind of a strong, silent type, you know, like that works real good when listening. <laughs> All right, well, um, I, I, are we going to wrap it up? Are we going to do a song here? Or, uh, yes. Go ahead and dismiss us. I ran over. I know I did. I, that's why I'm famous for that. So, Well, why don't I just dismiss us then? Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this body. Um, and I remember when I came the last time, I was so um, struck by how much love and genuineness there is here. And I know they're not perfect, but Lord, I'm so grateful to be here and be with them. And Father, I pray that you would bring people into our lives that we can listen to, people that you know are ready to get deeper uh, with you and in relationships. So, Lord, help us um, bring those people into our lives that we might be the person, the presence, the aroma of Jesus. And so we commit it all to you. Help us, Lord. We need help. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're done. Oh, by the way, there's my name and there's my email address. I would love to hear, if you do some listening and God does something cool, write down my email address and, and uh, send me an email and say, hey, you'll never, hear, you'll never believe what happened. I'd, I'd like to hear those stories. All right, bye.